0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
1: And hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we uh, get ready for this final week of November and the the news that uh, hopefully will be coming on the Farm Bill, uh, news on the RFS. Uh, news on funding of the government. So many things uh, hanging in the balance here these uh, next few days. So we have lots to talk about. We're going to talk about this lame duck session uh, of Congress with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We're also going to talk about, on this Giving Tuesday, we're going to talk about uh, the challenges of of uh, feeding the food insecure in this country. Carrie Calvert with the... Uh, with Feeding America will will be joining us. We're going to talk about the the growing need for food in this country, efforts underway by groups like Feeding America, what you can do to help, and uh, just what is the situation right now across the country. And as we get ready for Christmas, many of you perhaps buying a Christmas tree are you going real or artificial? Well, certainly the, uh, the Christmas tree growers of the country would like to see you go with a real tree. We'll talk with their executive director coming up a little bit later on in the program. But joining us right now is Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. How close are they on getting a farm bill done?
2: Well, they seem now very close, assuming they can work out an issue with forestry policy. Now the House Republicans and the uh, Trump administration are pushing them to uh, to include some provisions that would make it easier to cut t- uh, timber in the forest, uh, particularly, I guess, in areas that might be prone to forest fires. Uh, and this has become a big contentious issue because the environmentalists say that this is going to cause uh, unaccountable logging, and uh, it's, a you know, something for the timber industry. So th- this is the latest issue. Senator Debbie Stabenow said last night it could bring down the farm bill, uh, but it should, it, be, it should be resolved or, or addressed in the next day or two, so we should know more of that.
1: Does this mean they've worked out uh, their differences on uh, the SNAP program and work requirements?
2: Yes, according to Senator Stabenow, they have an agreement on the uh, SNAP program uh, that she agrees with. I presume that that means that work requirements will not be stiffened, at least substantially, if if Stabenow is satisfied with that. Uh, Another pending issue, however, is still payment limits, whether there would be a uh, whether it would get tougher, uh, which is what Senator Grassley wants or whether it would be easier for cousins and nephews and nieces and their spouses off the farm, uh, but who have a connection to the farm, to get some kind of farm payments.
1: This forestry issue, is it a deal breaker? I mean, are those that are pushing for this, uh, are they willing to let the whole bill go down over this issue?
2: Well, I don't know how uh, how hard the people are. Uh, who who want these forestry changes, but I would say the opponents of it are willing to let the bill go down. Uh, Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont uh, was the first person to speak out on this. He's always been a strong environmentalist on, and on conservation policy. And uh, he said last week that the administration was, uh, you know, was slowing down the farm bill and, and complicating it. Uh, so, apparent, according to Sabanow, it really is a deal-breaker issue. I think the issue for her is that she would be unable to control members of the, of the uh, Democratic caucus in the Senate who would be uh, angry uh, over these uh, policy changes that the Trump administration wants.
1: How close do you think we are to getting some kind of announcement, one way or the other, in the next few days?
2: I think we will have an announcement in the next few days. Few, uh, few days.
1: Supposedly,
2: the uh, the four top leaders of the Congress, that is, uh, the majority leader Mitch McConnell, uh, Ch- uh, minority leader Chuck Schumer, the Nancy Pelosi, the the, Repub- the Democratic leader in the House, and and uh, Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, are going to figure out this forestry issue. It's been bumped up to them. Uh, And according to Stabenow, it is the last remaining big issue. She says everything else is resolvable.
1: Does it get down to whether or not you believe that forestry management has something to do with these fires? Because uh, if... If you think they do, then not doing anything about that obviously the fires uh, create environmental problems because those who are opposing it are saying, well, we don't want them in there, uh, you know, doing things that are going to hurt the environment. So I, it comes down, I guess, what you believe are at the root of some of these uh, fires and some of those issues out there.
2: Well, yes, and it's a matter of how much uh, how much the forests matter to these fires. Because uh, uh, in, in the most recent fires in California, uh, it had not been totally an issue of the forest because there was an urban problem here. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the, the, the complication, and whether, whether or not the, uh, in such a short period here there should be a change in forestry policy, that, uh, you know, that's, that's the issue.
1: We're talking with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, it's been interesting uh, in the last few days, uh, a, a report coming out talking about some some uh, very dire forecasts for agriculture uh, when it comes to uh, climate change. And it comes from uh, some within the Trump administration. Some folks had part in putting this report together. The president has come out and said he doesn't believe the findings. Uh what, are, what do you think this is going to lead to? I mean, does this report kind of uh, really open the battle up even more on the, the climate change issue?
2: Well, I think it does It does open it up. And already in Washington, farm groups are being criticized for not having said anything in reaction to this report. Uh, I think that, that we are about to enter a new period here in which, uh, uh, what what happens in agriculture and what farm groups have to say or not say is going to be highly scrutinized. The world really is going to change in Washington when the Democrats take over the uh, over the House. It is going to be a big change. They've now probably won forty seats, uh, assuming that the Democrat wins in this last district in California that hasn't been hasn't been called. It is going to be a new period starting in January. And I think uh, even though rural America voted mostly very Republican here, they're going to have to deal with a world in which the, the Democrats and the people who are concerned about climate change uh, have, a, have a real force in, in the government.
1: Yeah, and I think we're starting to see on, on this issue and others where these battles are going to be fought. I think we're, we're kind of getting a, a, the game plan shown to us already of what to expect. As you said, it's going to be a, a lot different, and uh, we better prepare for some big battles for sure. Agriculture is going to be involved in them. Jerry, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you, and we'll talk again hopefully after we know what uh, what's this farm bill looks like, okay?
2: Yes, maybe again in just a few days.
1: Okay, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Well, Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us next to give us his thoughts on what may happen with the Farm Bill and some of these other issues still facing this lame duck session. They have a lot to do in a short period of time to get it done. We'll get his thoughts next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
3: Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You gotta go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself, that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving.
4: Your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you.
3: Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You gotta go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams
1: all right so it's forestry policy holding up the farm bill now it seems let's talk about it with andrew walmsley director of congressional relations for the american farm bureau federation andrew thanks for joining us it sounds like uh, this is the big issue now how close do you think they are to getting it resolved so they can move forward with this farm bill
5: Well, I appreciate the Skinnered intro there. I think we're closer (laughs) than hopefully three steps of getting across the finish line on the farm bill. Talking to folks this morning, they kind of feel like they're as close as they've ever been on hopefully wrapping this bill up. Uh, The forestry title is kind of one of the remaining sticking points here to get us across that finish line. But hopefully that will get resolved as some meetings take place today, and maybe today's the day.
1: I mean, who would have thought that if they got the the snap, Thing worked out, that we'd still have something like this come up, but that just shows that the longer this goes, there was there was chance for other things to pop up, and that's what's happened.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, all of us that, you know, we're not inside the room at the negotiating table, but as you check in and, and you hear things pop up, you know, this is one of those outstanding issues that's kind of been out there uh, that they tried to negotiate on earlier, uh, and then I think it was kind of kicked to the end, you know, there's been a lot of focus on on nutrition. Uh, but it sounds like they've they've reached an agreement there. And so now, you know, highlighted with some of the challenges we've seen in California with wildfires, the forestry ends up being the sticking point.
1: So what are you hearing on the payment limit issue?
5: Uh, it sounds like they're they're coming in to hopefully a landing there. Um, I, I think really we got to get the forestry issue resolved, which it's uh, kind of pushed up to the leadership level from our understanding. Um, once that takes place, uh, the one or two other issues that are outstanding, and part part of that, as you alluded to, does deal with payment limits, uh, needs to be resolved. There is some negotiating going back and forth there, but uh, you know we're hopeful from a farm bureau perspective that that there any aren't any additional restrictions uh, put on that when it comes to payment limits, and actively engaged that you know farmers need to be able to uh, structure their farms in a way that they can best manage risk, and any of those that are, are participating in that risk are eligible for risk management programs.
1: We'll have to watch closely the details, of course, but is it your sense that the, the momentum is to get it done now and that they'll be able to work through this?
5: Yeah, and I really think the momentum has been been building. I, I think there's some points where, you know, the four principals are maybe dragging some folks uh, down down the rows to hopefully get it there. But, uh, yeah, I, I really feel, you know, we had to have some, some things play out. We you had to have the election take place. We had to get that behind us. Um, you know, you had to continue to negotiate through. We, we thought we were getting really cr- close right before Thanksgiving. And, you know, there's, there's those in Congress that can smell a deal, and they'll kind of pop up out of the grass with maybe some new demands or, or put some new challenges on the negotiators. And I think we've worked through a lot of that. So, yeah, I think we're building. You know, everything we can tell is their intention is to get this done. We've got a pathway in the next few weeks to get it through both chambers and off to the president's desk.
1: We're talking with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, another issue—it's interesting. Uh, there's a proposal, I guess, uh, an approach on uh, on tax extenders, looking at the biodiesel tax credit that would extend it but phase it out. Uh, give us uh, an update on that.
5: Yeah, we're still reviewing. You know, that was released last evening. Um, that there's a desire and. Uh, to put a tax package together through the end of Congress this year, fix some of the issues in the in the previous tax bill, uh, but as you alluded to, um, something that's positive for our biodiesel producers to extend that credit for a few years, give some certainty uh, as that phases out. We'll see. Uh, the Senate didn't sound overly uh, receptive, but you know this is just part of uh, the ongoing effort as the frenzy of a lame duck session of Congress comes to a close.
1: Now, we've got, uh, what, December 7th deadline on the funding issue, and uh, the, I'm sure we're going to hear back and forth perhaps threats of government shutdowns and things like that. Uh, do you, how close are they to getting something worked out?
5: Well, you know, obviously there's a lot of posturing that, that takes place. I, I believe there's a meeting this afternoon at the White House with uh, a lot of leadership to kind of discuss what are our next steps, what are must-haves, uh, so we'll see how that plays out over, over the coming days. We do have December 7th, um, you know, I don't know if we'll see a, a short-term CR to, to resolve those issues, a longer-term CR, it kind of sounds like it's all up in the air, but, uh, there's quite a bit to do on Congress's to-do list before they hope to get out of town on the, on the 14th of December.
1: Andrew, we were just talking with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report about this, uh, climate change, uh, report that came out, uh, including, you know, some of the contributors were from this administration, even though the president says he doesn't really believe uh, the findings. Ag groups have been criticized for not speaking out on this issue of climate change. I mean, is this the looming big battle uh, once the Democrats uh, get control of the House starting next year then?
5: well, I think we'll obviously have more hearings and more of a focus than we've seen uh, during the last Congress when it comes to this issue. You know, from a Farm Bureau perspective, you know, we look at the science as much as we can, but we also need to take into account the economic implications. And sometimes you hear these dire warnings and uh, maybe not the full picture of what, you know, the consequences are to maybe getting to some of those recommendations. You know, at the end of the day, we're a grassroots organization. The priorities that are sent in by our members, active farmers and ranchers, you know, will dictate where where we go, and uh, up to this point, They haven't necessarily seen a net benefit agriculture with some of the carbon tax ideas or or control uh, regulation that might be out there, but rather uh, continue to see ways uh, to work towards adaptation. You know, we've been dealing with Mother Nature for ever since we stopped being hunters and gatherers, right? I mean, it's a constant challenge of farming. And so give us the tools to be able to adapt, make sure we have access to risk management programs that are in a farm bill, make sure we have access to biotechnology and other innovations in ag that'll make us that more productive while also providing benefits you know ag can provide benefits uh, through co- uh, soil uh, sequestration through you know proper forestry management techniques and those type of things we're all on board on working towards solutions uh, just caution uh, when, when you know you see some of these reports come out and calls from action from Washington that might not take into the full impacts to what we'll see to producers and ultimately to consumers and food prices
1: Meanwhile, we are waiting, expecting this week an announcement from RFS on the uh, 2019 RVO levels uh, for the RFS. We're also starting to hear about uh, some that are looking beyond 2022 and what the RFS would look, would look like into the future. Uh, what are you hearing there in Washington about this issue?
5: Yeah, you know, RFS is, a, is an important issue for our members. You know, you, you look at what we're able to do with homegrown, renewable fuels. Uh, we'll be waiting this week to see what the renewable volume obligations end up being for for next year, um, and I think that will kind of tip EPA's hand on where we see this idea of a reset. You know, obviously, there's going to be a lot of conversation next Congress on where do we go post 2022, and uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna be at the table making sure we have the best policy available while defending a very good program that's had you know positive benefits for consumers and for rural America.
1: Meanwhile, on trade, um, we're hearing, you know, Mexico is going to sign the new NAFTA. Um, even though there seemingly is no deal on in the works yet to remove the tariffs on steel and aluminum, uh, we know the vote will happen with our new Congress next year. Are you hearing anything that uh, makes you think it's going to be go one way or another in the vote or or? I mean, we're starting to hear some criticisms about environmental issues and worker rights and things like that. Is that kind of setting up for the, the battle over that next year?
5: You know, I think you pick up a little bit of that, as you alluded to. You know, we'll hopefully have the signed agreement um the end of this week. Uh, you know, I think there's been so much focus, at least near term, on uh, getting the agreement signed and then all the issues we've already discussed on what's facing Congress. So when this new Congress comes in, it will be interesting to see uh, really where the discussions go, and how much does uh, those areas you highlighted from environment to labor you know that typically has the year of a democratic caucus will they uh, how much of a role will they play I mean I think ultimately in the end though the new deal is better than than no NAFTA, so hopefully there'll be uh, enough votes there to to get this across the finish line as well
1: so much to do a lot of it will carry over into next year, but you know lame ducks um uh... Historically, there hasn't been a whole lot get done in a lame duck session, but there's so much in this one that needs to be done. What do you think? How much can they get done before the end of the year?
5: Well, uh, obviously, we're hopeful we'll get a farm bill done. And, uh, you know, the, the sooner we can get an agreement in place, you know, the easier it is to do that, either as a standalone, back through the through each chamber, or if it ends up happening to be some type of package, which you know Congress is notorious to do at the end of the year, is shove everything they can agree to into one large package. Uh, you know, so hopefully we get a farm bill done. You know, they're going to have to make a decision on appropriations, or we'll see a shutdown. Much past that, we'll see. It's still early. Um, there's still a lot of optimism, a lot of a lot of buzz as we get back into this week after Thanksgiving. We'll see where we're at, you know, come December 7th, 9th, 15th, whatever, where we might sit with things.
1: Yeah, stay tuned. They're going to keep us hanging uh, uh, right to the very deadline on a lot of these things, it looks like, which is kind of the, uh, the the way they do things in Congress more and more these days. All right, Andrew, thank you. We'll talk again hopefully after some decisions have been made in this Congress. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Huge issues still to be dealt with in this lame duck session before the end of the year. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Feeding America, the challenges that we face in this country, the growing need for food, the food insecure, those needing help. We're going to talk about those efforts and how you can help. That's next on AOA.
6: Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
7: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures trying to stabilize on this Tuesday after sharp losses to begin the week. Soybean futures an hour into the day trending five to six cents higher. The nation's row crop harvest and winter wheat planting made little headway last week, remaining behind the five-year average pace. Corn harvest advancing only four percentage points, states that are still slower than normal include the dakotas, pennsylvania and ohio 94% of the nation's soybeans in the bin as of sunday missouri only 85% finished arkansas 88% according to the national ag statistics service in soybeans the january contract hovering near 868 a bushel up 5 and 3 quarters on the downside 851 and three quarters stands as potential support for corn. March down a quarter of a cent at 368. Corn bears closing in on potential support at 366 and three quarters. That'd be the low from September 28th. Wheat futures turning around. Monday's advances on a Tuesday. Minneapolis spring wheat trending one to two and a half cents lower, seven to eight, and a fraction lower in Chicago. And Kansas City wheat trending. Six and a fraction lower. Early activity for livestock at the Merck has been mixed. In live cattle futures, December at 116.72 down 20 cents. Feeder cattle, January down 52 at 148.62. Could be midweek or later before we see activity in cash cattle country. Lean hog futures, December down 32 at 57.07. Outside markets: the Dow down 87, S&P down a point. January crude oil up 39 cents in New York. I'm Rusty Halverson.
8: Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Information
0: America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: And welcome back. Joining us now is the Managing Director of Government Relations for Feeding America, Carrie Calvary. Carrie, thank you for joining us.
9: Thanks. I'm happy to be here.
1: Uh, wanted to get an update on on the challenge of feeding people in this country, the food insecure uh, we know that there's growing demand. We, we hear the challenges that food banks and food pantries across the country have and, uh, you know, the growing numbers that uh, depend on uh, those services to get by. Uh, can you kind of give us an update on where we stand here as we go to the end of this year?
9: Sure, I'd be happy to. It's, uh, it can be hard to imagine how prevalent food insecurity is, particularly when you hear about uh, the economic recovery that many sections of our country have seen with uh, low unemployment once again. But one in eight Americans struggle with hunger, uh, and that number is actually one in six children that struggle with hunger in this country. That means that millions of families and individuals uh, lack regular access to the nutritious meals that they need. So, Feeding America has a network of 200 food banks and 60,000 food pantries and local agencies and soup kitchens that we work with to provide uh, food to each year.
1: Now, when we look at those, um, the giving that makes it possible for those food banks and food pantries to to help those in need, uh, has, have we seen an uptake, an uptick in the the uh, the giving or is it still a struggle to meet those demands
9: you know um, americans are are a generous people and certainly uh, feeding america and our food banks have seen um, strong support both for donating food and funds from uh, companies and growers across the united states as well as individuals and in fact today is giving tuesday where a lot of uh, the nation's uh, nonprofits are really focused on highlighting the individual need that they're serving, but you know, despite the fact that um, you know our neighbors' generosity continues to help food banks uh, do our work, there is quite a large meal gap in this country. Feeding America measures uh, who is food insecure every year, and. The Department of Agriculture estimates that it's about 40 million people this year. And we look at the cost of a meal in each community and measure the meal gap. You know, how many meals are missing from the plates of food insecure Americans each year? And last year that meal gap was $21 billion. You can go to feedingamerica.org and see what food insecurity and what the meal gap looks like in your community. It's an interactive map that no county in the United States is without this meal gap. So uh, despite the fact that we see food and monetary donations um, certainly not dropping from where they were before, we really want to be able to close this meal gap in a real and measurable way to make sure that families and individuals have the food they need to thrive.
1: We're talking with Carrie Calvert with Feeding America. Now, we've heard of some innovative ways, some new ways of trying to meet those, uh, those needs and different ways that people can help.
9: Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the exciting things is to see uh, all of the innovations that are happening across the country, particularly when you look at food waste. And when people say food waste, they think plate waste or food waste from a, you know, a consumer's kitchen. And that can be. But most of the food waste uh, Feeding America is working to capture happens uh, before it gets to your kitchen. Uh, you know, there's quite a bit of food that's wasted each year, and our goal is to figure out how can we innovate to capture that where it is, whether it's working on strengthening uh, Farm to Food Bank programs in states nationwide. Uh, Feeding America Food banks have partnered with many state agriculture departments and, you uh, you know, farm groups and uh, commodity groups to look at where is um, food that's produced or grown not making it to a market, or, you know, maybe it has a, a minor imperfection, but it's nutritious and wholesome food, and how can we pack it and ship it to a food bank to make sure it gets to a community member. So some of those innovations have made a big difference in the amount of, um, particularly fruits and vegetables and and other um, food like that that's able to uh, be rescued and not wasted, which is great because, you know, with um, around 70 billion pounds of food wasted each year, we know that we can do much better collectively to reduce that.
1: Yeah, that's a staggering number, the amount of food wasted in this country each year. Now, a lot of times when we think of uh, of food banks, we think of non-perishable food items. But I know there's been more of an effort to get uh, uh, food items to the uh, food insecure that have a shorter shelf life.
9: That's right. Uh, you know, food banking really did start as a way to uh, connect um, non-perishable products uh, with local food banks and to make sure that product was not wasted. But we've really seen a significant growth in the amount of perishable food we're able to distribute. Um, Last year, Feeding America distributed around 4.8 billion pounds of food through our network, and over 1 billion pounds was fresh produce. That's great. It does mean a, a significant significant investment that our food banks and the agencies they work with need to make in terms of refrigerated coolers and space for it. But it's an investment that we, we think is worth worth making and really pays dividends in the health and the lives of those that we're serving. Another area is trying to increase the amount of uh, fresh milk, fluid milk, that we're able to distribute. There really is a, a milk gap in terms of how much fluid milk we're able to distribute to those that were those that are coming to us for help, so we've been working with, um, you know, milk processors and producers nationwide to look at innovative ways we can um, make sure we're increasing the amount of fluid milk. We also work with a lot of, uh, you know, meat producers as well, and again, we've had to increase our amount of refrigerated and um, freezer storage space, but it's been very, very helpful. Some of the other innovations are just in terms of timing and logistics, such as, um, you know, if we want to increase produce distribution, but the the agency in that town doesn't have a lot of refrigerated space, the food bank will work with them to do a just-in-time delivery so that they're delivering fresh produce and other perishable food at the same time that the Local pantry is doing their weekly or bi-monthly food distribution, so that we're able to bypass that lack of storage at that smaller agency, and still get that nutritious food to them.
1: Yeah, a couple of challenges in here. Uh, One, getting the the food that's that people need, but also then to have the cooling units and things like that that would allow more items like fruits, vegetables, meats, uh, milk. To be able to be distributed as you point out not all food banks are equipped that way so that that's an issue that needs to be resolved
9: yeah you know it's funny in America um, we produce so much food it's not that we have a food production problem I think it's more amount of how do we have the right systems and programs in place to connect that food to the community members that really need it but we've seen uh, significant growth in the amount of food that's able to be rescued. And, you know, and that recent announcements um, such as the agreement between USDA and FDA and EPA really give us hope that, um, you know, together we can figure out um, a way around some of these logistics challenges.
1: Yeah, it looks like there's going to be more of a point of emphasis on this food waste issue uh, at high levels of our government?
9: I think it's um, it's an issue that certainly is is ready for additional attention. I think there that there are a lot of common sense solutions that, um, you know, particularly with the support of the federal government as a, an amplifier of of programs that are already working, we really think that we can see additional traction on this issue, um, particularly when you look at not only the amount of food that's available to donate, but also in the area of consumer education. You know, the federal government really, and state and local governments really can play such a big role in educating consumers on, um, you know, how not to waste products, you uh, one example, date labels can be really confusing. Is it a food safety date? Is it a food quality date? Is the cereal still safe? If it passes this date, it is still safe. It might. It's more of a food quality date versus a food safety date. So these are examples of how I think um, you know, additional interest and emphasis by federal, state, and local governments can really help make a difference
1: i think more people are getting involved we see a lot of churches involved a lot of community outreach programs uh all of this is needed now uh the need is great how can people contribute to feeding america and uh and make a difference here
9: well um certainly you can go to feeding uh, and um, contribute there you know if- both monetarily or you can reach out to us if you're a grower or producer or um, have food to donate. But also we have, we're in every community, Uh, go to our website, use our locator to find out um, what Feeding America Food Bank is serving your community and reach out to them as well. You know, a lot of the work that we're able to do is um, do in large part to volunteers. We use volunteers for a lot of our work, whether it's repacking bagged apples into household sizes, or packing food for food distributions, or helping out with a, a mobile pantry. So we really encourage people, um, you know, if it's, if it's not in your, your budget right now to give financially, that's okay. Reach out and uh, get involved with us. Volunteer with our food banks and uh, learn about how you can help in your community. We also um, encourage people to advocate and let people know about the issue of hunger. You know, there's a lot that we can do to make sure everyone knows um, what our neighbors might be facing.
1: And that need is year-round. Carrie Calvert, Managing Director of Government Relations for Feeding America, has been with us. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. Stay with us. More coming up on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
0: your invention we can negotiate on your behalf we have helped over ten thousand clients receive patents we offer 3d modeling and animation prototyping services and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies join people just like you who made the call to invent help you have nothing to lose the call and the information are free call 1-800-213-4556 that's 1-800-213-4556 again 1-800-213-4556
3: powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem
6: seek answers when there is doubt give hope
3: not tomorrow
1: not in a few years but right now some battles must be faced together cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day and you can be part of this battle too
6: visit standuptocancer.org to learn more
8: together we can save lives sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's
4: 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit? Low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you.
6: When it comes to squeezing the most fuel efficiency out of every gallon of diesel fuel, there's nothing better than Diesel X Gold from FS. Modern engines are designed with more power while preventing harmful emissions. Diesel X Gold keeps them operating that way, with its advanced detergent chemistry that keeps injectors operating like new, and its healthy dose of cetane improver that makes sure engines start quickly and combust fuel more completely. So count on Diesel X Gold from FS. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information.
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams
1: well do you have a real or artificial christmas tree we're going to talk about christmas trees with the executive director of the national christmas tree association tim o'connor tim good to talk with you again thanks for joining us
10: you're welcome mike and that's a straightforward question it's
7: always real
1: <laughs> Always real. Uh, let's talk about the, the the Christmas tree industry in this country. Give us an overview. Well,
10: it's a very interesting industry. Like other segments of agriculture, it's kind of moved to the two extremes where there are large growers who are primarily wholesale suppliers to big retail customers, and they've specialized in handling the volume. In delivering to very demanding big buyers, and on the other end, there is a great business platform for smaller growers, particularly ones that live within a reasonable driving distance of an urban area, to have people come to their farm and, and participate in this growing quasi-agritourism and family experience of coming to get a Christmas tree. Both of those businesses can be be very good, and they've allowed the industry to really do well at both extremes
1: have we seen a growth in that it seems like a few years ago we were hearing a lot about that has that continued to grow
10: it really has I, I think the uh, millennial generation that are becoming parents now are really driving this shift that you know they've moved organic produce and other organic foods into the mainstream because of their Desire for things that are natural and wholesome. They want to know the story about where their food and other products they're purchasing come from. They want to feel a connection to what they're doing and doing is good for them and good for the planet. And everything about a real Christmas tree matches with that current of, of trends, and everything about a plastic tree made in China does not. And so As millennials are reviewing their Christmas traditions and decisions, they're realizing, hey, I really want to be on the real tree team.
1: Well, when you're talking about trees as your crop, uh, obviously it's a lot different than, you know, you're going to – if you have a a bad year this year, you just – you have a – you plant a new crop and, and harvest next year. It's a little different when you're dealing with trees because you've got that longer cycle. Uh, tell us about the, the challenges that the growers uh, face, and, and how are they doing these days?
10: Well, that is a real challenge, Mike, uh, as you outlined. Depending on where you live in the country and the type of trees you're growing, on average it's an 8- to 10-year cycle from planting a seedling to harvesting a saleable crop. So there's you know, obviously two challenges there. the challenge of the investment to plant a crop and wait 10 years for a return and the annual maintenance of maintaining that growing tree and keeping it trimmed up in shape. And then there's also that ability to forecast, if you will, in a crystal ball, what trees do I need 10 years from now? How many trees do I need 10 years from now? What will the demand be? You know, Where does my business need to be that far ahead? That isn't a normal thing in a lot of agriculture. There are other crops that are similar. But in general, a Christmas tree farmer is in a unique position on that. And so it has become a big cycle swing. I've been with the industry three years And we're just now in a a really good spot in the cycle. Eight, ten years ago, it was not a good spot in the cycle. There were too many trees chasing too few buyers. We all know what that's like in agriculture. It was an unprofitable time. Uh, Growers exited the business. Fewer trees were planted. Supply is more right-sized today, which leads to profitability. There's demand growth now. Uh, Growers are planting again, which is what they do when things are good. So that cycle of more production start to repeat itself and whether demand growth can keep up with that will be the the big question. But certainly it's it's looking good for the industry in terms of the trends being very favorable.
1: What are the most popular trees uh, these days?
10: Well, much like other segments of agriculture, there are trees that have been you know, bred and produced form in different regions of the country. So if you're on the East Coast, you're going to see a lot of Fraser firs. The Fraser is the prominent tree grown in North Carolina, which is the second largest growing state in the nation. Uh, you'll see some white pines and Douglas firs and some other trees in the East, some balsam firs. In the West, you're going to see noble firs, and Nordman firs, uh, some Douglas firs, but you know it kind of has gravitated to, you know, breeding programs, producing trees that work in the geographical and climatic conditions, and so that's what's dominant in those parts of the country. Trees are shipped all over. Um, And so you can find a good mix of species when you're shopping many places. But that's generally how it lays out. It's a geographical determination what trees you're going to see the most.
1: And what are some good tips for what to do with those trees after Christmas? Well, they're
10: a fully biodegradable, recyclable, natural product. So in many communities, there's a a mulching program. Where the trees go into mulch, and generally it goes into the park system uh, for hiking paths and the landscaping underneath other trees to keep the, the weeds down. Um, I have seen trees used as um, essentially toys for zoo animals. Uh, lions and rhinoceroses love to play with them. They also go into lakes and other fishery habitat to create a safe haven for the fish to uh, go and lay eggs in where predators have trouble finding them so there's a lot of different ways to recycle a tree and of course the plastic tree from china spends a thousand years in a landfill before it ever begins to think about breaking down so the biodegradability of of a natural real tree is is clearly better for the environment
1: Tim O'Connor, Executive Director of the National Christmas Tree Association. Tim, thanks for joining us.
10: Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure.
1: And that's going to do it for today. Thanks for joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.